been more of an adventure than anything. You know, it's not gone your classic route of play underage with youth or schools, go to the academy, play for your province. I had an awful time in France my second time between injuries and everything, just not enjoying it. So I think that's where like the human side of it comes in, you know, and like actually being able to be a really good communicator can be the difference between. And then at the end of the year, um, they just didn't want me anymore. I'm still not really sure why, but just be open and honest. Uh... Hey, I hope you're keeping well. I'm Brian Moylet, former rugby player, now mindset and performance coach. And welcome to the pod. This podcast is about well-being and high performance. And in it, you will learn how you can be happier, more fulfilled and more successful. I recently wrote the book on how to become a pro rugby player, forward by Robbie Henshaw, which went to number one in the charts. And you can get this now on Amazon and Audible with the links in the show notes. Please connect me now over on social media at Brian Moylet and at Offfield Rugby. If you enjoyed the pod, please subscribe to it, leave a rating and review wherever you're listening now. And also you can send it on to some friends. Would really appreciate that. All right, we'll get into today's episode. Cheers. How are we keeping well today? I'm chatting with rugby player Shane O'Leary, who is currently playing with Young Monsters in the AIL and signed for Miami Sharks. I was about to say Inter Miami, but uh, no, I'm not going to play with Messi down the road. Um, I, I uh, yeah, I listened to your podcast, The Rugby Diaries. I heard, you know, your story, and you've had um, yeah, you've had such an interesting journey in the game. So far, yeah, it's, yeah, so far, yes, <laughs> as I call it, the journey so far. Um, yeah, it's been it's been a bit all over the shop. To say it's unconventional would be an understatement, I think. But uh, so that's kind of part of the, probably the biggest part of it that I found enjoyment in is that it's been more of an adventure than anything. You know, it's not gone your classic route of play underage with youth or schools, go to the academy, play for your province try and play for Ireland, so on and so forth, even though that was obviously all my ambition at one stage. So that's yeah, been good. Got more clubs than Tiger Woods and probably Rory McIlroy together, but that's all right as well. Lots of adventures, lots of life experience, and uh, I suppose connected with a lot of good people along the way. So yeah, no, it's been good, man. I've, I've really enjoyed it, to be fair. Yeah, and like, did you, at the start or all the way along, just kind of think, I'll just see where this goes? or Um. So when I was younger, I wanted to play for Munster in Ireland, and that was everything, you know, watching Raj, watching Paul Hamill, all these boys. Um, that was the absolute only goal that I had in my head. That's the only route I'd ever thought about. Um, but I think as you kind of, you go through it, like, you know, things happen. I played Munster 18s, 19s, 20s, didn't get an academy spot. Uh, started in UL, uh, playing with your Munsters, um, and then got the opportunity to go overseas. And I wasn't really getting looked at in Munster, and that's, as sad as it was at the time you know it's just the way it was um and i remember i remember a moment in school where a teacher had said to me she's like oh like what do you want to do when you're older i'm gonna be professional player i'm gonna be star and like, no you're not and i remember literally just going i'll fucking show you that i will i will and then i obviously got in trouble for cursing at a teacher you know but i kind of had that i don't know whether it's like a chip in the shoulder or just complete belief that it was always going to work one way or the other it's going to figure it out and go there go here and like i touched on in my podcast as well is that like I was always going to pivot to make it happen. And I didn't really know that at the time that's what I was doing. Um, but that's definitely what it was like. You know, it was like, oh, there's an opportunity here. Okay, I'll go there. Oh, I got an opportunity to come home, play for Connacht. Now, oh, class. Okay, let's do that. You know, play there as long as I can. Oh, we don't want to keep you anymore. Um, injuries, whatnot, whatever it was. Um, okay, I'll go here. Oh, I've got another opportunity here. Oh, cool. I'll go live in that country. You know, I'll do that. Oh, I'll play for Canada. Mum's born there. Why not? Uh, and then you kind of the further you got on your career, you're like, okay, mate, well, where can I look at now that would be pretty cool to be able to, for rugby to be able to take me? Um, and I think everyone would say that it'd be kind of cool to go to Miami and play rugby there and stalk Messi for a season or two. Yeah, class. And so, like, I love the, yeah, like, the belief. And, you know, like, say, a teacher would say that, or, you know, I'm sure so many people along the way doubt you, like, everyone on every journey in life. But <laughs> yeah. did that not... um that didn't hold you back or, you know, you just had that belief? Um, yeah, I suppose I was always stubborn and I was always, as my dad used to say, an experiential learner. So no matter what advice I was given, I had to go and fuck it up myself in order to, uh, to figure it out, like, you know, and then come back and say, oh, yeah, you were right there. 
surprising that you were right when you're 40 years or whatever 30 odd years older than me or you know um so i suppose I, i've always been that way and i always liked having the experience and kind of figuring it out that way for myself a bit um and i suppose that's probably just kind of what's led me the whole way through you know i've never been another thing that i've never been afraid to do is ask someone for help and, and reach out to people and say oh here i haven't got a club uh, i know just if you know of anyone looking in france for uh, a 10 or whatever or like I'd be grateful if you could put me in contact, put me in touch and just kind of, you know, you just do that every time you needed a hand or you reached out and you kind of, you just kind of, yeah, I suppose it's just, I just wanted to keep it going. And then I kind of, it's been more subconscious than anything I'd say, as opposed to me being like, oh, I'm going to be a professional player for 10 years, you know, it's kind of, it's just been like, okay, what's next? Okay. How do I keep this going? Oh yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll speak to this person. Oh, cool. Okay. Offer here. Cool. Let's go to France for two years. You know, and sure, you just learn so many lessons along the way. But yeah, I don't really know if I've given you an answer there or not, but <laughs> that's kind of where it's gone in my head anyway. So Yeah, that's class. No, I think the asking for help is is so simple but so important and something I didn't do for a long time. Uh, I think it's like the most Irish thing in the world that you think you're a burden. Uh, and oh, I can't ask them. Jesus, they'll think I'm... Oh, I think I'm putting them out or oh, man, if someone can help you, someone's going to help you like, you know, um, and if they don't and they say they can't help you, that conversation is now done in a matter of five seconds and they probably will never think about it again until they see you going well and they think, oh, maybe I should have helped him, <laughs> you know, and like people think that asking for help is pure, like you're not changing someone's life by asking them to maybe make a phone call or to maybe send you someone's number or an email and you know these things like they're such small things and they can be massive for you but for someone else they're it's not a big deal like you know it really isn't and if if they asked you for help you'd help them without a doubt you know so so why wouldn't it work and the rugby world's small like you know if you need to get connected to someone in the pro game like if i don't know someone that knows them i'll know someone that knows someone that knows them if you know what i mean so you can get you can get contacts that way and like of course i'm not messaging all blacks and stuff asking them hey can you send me your coach's number do you know you're not being a pot all like that but you work through your own network and kind of you know you, you like if you need to touch base with someone you'll be able to or you get your agent on it or whatever way but i just think like what's the worst that someone can say if you ask for a bit of help or even a bit of advice no all right okay sound probably an arsehole anyway do you know um so like you just move on then and you just try and find another avenue 100 percent, and. I think it's class the way he went to France. Tell about that. First of all, so first I time. Uh, first time, yeah. Um, so I was playing with your monsters in town. I was hoping to um, get an academy spot with monster. Like that was everything I was working to, and I didn't get it straight out of nineteens or twenties. And I thought I'm still going to get it. Like you know, kind of. So that probably is that kind of belief that it was going to happen. I was working away, playing well. I was one of the only tens my age playing AIL at the time. Uh, 1A and going well um, and it just never happened they just didn't see it in me or whatever they didn't they chose other lads and that's fine a lot of the guys they chose have gone on to have really good careers with uh with Munster you know so that's fine um but then Mike Prendergast moved over to Grenoble he was the DOR and the head coach inside in your Munsters at the time um so as I always did oh Mike you know you might bring me out there with you uh tongue-in-cheek whatever you know um and then sure I get a text about 10 days into it Shane, the academy want to look at you on trial. Um, I put a good word in for you, and I was like, "Jesus Christ!" All right. Uh, when do they want me out? Like, when? When are we talking? He's like, "Monday morning." Mike, it's Saturday night. Yeah, they'll book your flight. Will I give them the all go? Yeah, give them the all clear. Yeah, grand. Um, and then went out for the week, and it went well. Came home, and I was home maybe a day, and they were like, "Yeah, we want you to come back out." I was like, "All right, okay, cool, sweet, let's do it." Um, and then it was great out there. Like you had the the whole Irish connection between Mike Prendergast, uh, Bernard Jackman was there, James Hart, uh, the scrum half was there, the Irish lad, um, the Irish French lad, and then Andy Andrew Farley, who played with Connacht, was there as well. So like there was a good connection out there, and those lads all looked after me. So so it was grand. It was like a little Ireland out there and <laughs> there in Grenoble. So yeah, it's good. But it all came from me asking. You know, even if I was saying it was kind of a bit tongue in cheek, chance in my arm, like you'd be surprised what people will do for you. Yeah, and did you speak any French? I thought I did because I did it in school, but when I went out, I didn't, <laughs> and I figured that out very quickly. Bonjour, je m'appelle Shane, il fait beau, comme si, comme ça. <laughs> that was about it, like you know. Um, but the the club, to be fair, um, had two lessons a week for us, and I was living in the academy building, so there was thirty nine lads in there, 
and there was 36 French lads, the Irish lad, me, um, a Tongan fella and a Polish fella whose second language was English. Both of their second languages were English and then French was on a different, a whole different paradigm to them, you know? So I was trying to, I decided as I suppose the foreigner who could speak the best English, it was probably on me to learn French, um, you know, and even being based off Latin, it was going to be easier for me anyway. So we all hung out, we were pretty close, but I was the one that kind of had to translate between my broken French and then speaking broken English back to the lads, but it uh, worked out. So I picked up French decently. And then when I went back, I think it was, it must've been seven years later, six years later. And I thought, oh, shall we grab? I spoke French that year, you know, <laughs> it'd be grand when I get back. It was pretty rusty though. But then within the two years again, I was back to speaking to very well, better than I ever had been, to be honest. Um, and yeah, it comes back, you know, but it's just, it's like anything. If you don't practice it, it doesn't, you don't really, you don't really retain it. So, um, so yeah, the French came on. How long did it take you when you went back the second time? Like, how long do you reckon before you were comfortable or, you know, at, at the level you were at the last time or able to get by? I remember the day I got back, the coach collected me uh, or collected me from the Airbnb I was in and he brought me down. He's like, oh, we'll go for dinner. And I was giving it the biggins that I could speak French. or So I thought I could. For time. And the waiter asked me a question. And I was like, oh, my God, I haven't got a clue. Um, but within a few weeks, like we didn't get lessons that time. The club weren't great um, and didn't really provide that for us because they thought a 50 euro a week for all the lads' lessons was too expensive. So, but anyway, that's a different story. Um, but how long did it take me? A couple of weeks until I was back into the flow of it and then or into the swing of it. And then a couple of months and I was probably better than I was when I was in Grenoble uh, pretty quickly. Like when you're, it's different when I was young. Um, because like confidence wasn't there, you know, but there was, we're surrounded by a bigger group of foreigners this time. And a lot of them didn't have good French. So it was kind of similar, kind of being the translator that way. But Peter Leiden, that you know, is there and he's obviously class of French. So he was much better than me when we went back. Um, but I got good very quickly. And it's good having someone like that as well. That you could bounce off all the time. And then a few of the French lads that were older were all uh, good at English as well. So they'd help you out. And you'd always be like, oh, how do you say this? How do you say that? And you kind of just want to learn. I found that that was the biggest thing is that I really wanted to learn so that my life was easier. Where when I was in school, I was like, I never want to fucking use this. Like, you know, even though I have about five cousins that are French and aunties and uncles and everything, I was like, I never going to use this. They can all speak English. Um, but then when you're like trying to understand stuff, meetings, especially playing at 10, like, you know, you want to understand every single word that's said. You don't just care about the game plan. You care about the, the intricacies and this finer detail, which I <laughs> learned that the French don't really care about too much. But um but like that stuff's important to know and you know I'm driven to know that stuff so then you want to learn all the words you want to know deep small but deep really deep all those different kind of words you know and there's different ways of saying it um it's small but different in different parts of the country as well so you know all that kind of different rugby lingo you want to learn that and then just to be able to be kind of a I suppose a leader at 10 as well you need to actually be able to speak to people you can't just go on and shout at them especially if you're not shouting in their language because then they're like what are you on about um so yeah, that way, and even just earning respect and stuff. You know, I think when you have a, a bigger reason to learn it, you can learn things quite quickly. But like I said, in school, it was just like, I do not want to do this and I do not want to be here. You're forcing me. So it's good. <laughs> There's another thing to, uh, if you need to learn something, go and put yourself in the middle of it so you have to. Yeah, and with with playing, like so playing when you went over even say to Grenoble and then playing with Rouen, the last of like, that's something I've always wondered, like you're on the grass and you don't have great French and like, especially at 10, you know, how, how is that? It's hard. It is hard. Like, I think it's not as hard when you're not playing 10, but when you're playing 10, like yeah. where you're involved in the movement and the general movement of people and telling them where to go, like, you know, the first word you learn is here and there and you start pointing, la, 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 go there, la, la go here, like, you know, you start learning those things, then you start to learn how to tell them to go there quickly, hurry up, you know, those kind of words. Um, it's hard, it is hard at 10, like, and I'm not saying that I, I definitely struggle with it at times, you know, and then, like, kind of, even the culture of how they play rugby, as opposed to how we play back home and in the UK, like, you know, it's, it's so, it's so relaxed and it's so flowy, as opposed to, like the way we're very like much so we've game plans you know oh we hit here and hit here we carry out we'll shorten the line we can attack there things like that where the french is like oh i'm gonna run in here and throw this crazy offload you know and you're like oh my goodness okay we're all broken up now 
and I actually like broken field play, but it was, it's like when the lines are different every time, it can be quite difficult to get into flow stuff. Um, but yeah, with the language, like you pick up the rugby lingo very quickly because like I said, when you're immersed in it, things come quick, especially when you're on the field within your first year. Like, how do I say deep? How do I say flat? How do I say push me? How do I say move here? How do you say these things? And you start like, because I suppose it's the job, you know, you have to pick up that stuff very quickly. So that stuff definitely comes quicker than let's say going to the bank and opening an account or asking you transfer money and stuff. Um, so I think that's kind of how that happened. You know, I didn't really have to, sit down and study too much because you go to a French teacher and you say, how do I say this in rugby? And they say, what are you on about? Um, so I think it kind of just comes from being on the pitch and when you're on the pitch in preseason, you're on the pitch two, sometimes three times a day, you know, so that stuff comes relatively quickly. And then also being inquisitive and asking questions again and again and again, trying to figure it out. But it was definitely hard, um, especially at the start. In my first ending in Global, I played more in the centre because it was just harder to, it was harder to learn. You know, there's younger guys, their English wasn't as good. I was training with the pros, but when I was training with the pros, they'd all just speak English. So you kind of just went with that. You know, it was nice to have that hour or two hours a day where you weren't trying to think in another language. Um, but yeah, it just kind of comes from being out there and not getting overwhelmed by it and just saying, fuck it, like I'm, <laughs> I learn eventually it's going to be a shit show for the first bit. But once you get over that ugly stage, it becomes much easier. Like, you know? Yeah. And what was the rugby like compared? So obviously, look, I've heard lots and watched France play and French rugby, and but what um, yeah, what was it like? The difference. Uh, the difference compared to playing in Ireland or England or. Yeah. Okay, so I find like I found playing in Ireland and England like there was a massive emphasis on the team, where in France it's more it's more class like individuals doing things you know that are that are carving up that way. Um, and that's how these things are leading to unreal scores and stuff. Like, like you mightn't have good shape, but all of a sudden you have uh, this guy that will break three tackles and run 80 meters of score. And you're just like, how in the name of God has that happened? Do you know? Uh, but it's not necessarily down to like manipulating space really, really well. And then some of the things they just do so well, like their support lines are classed, you know, they're always, they get excited when they have the ball. They don't always want to work as hard in D. So, I think like that way is why sometimes their games are really high scoring where at home it's to be a bit more of a chess match, you know, um, like things like working back, like escorting back their chaser and stuff like that. Sometimes some guys are good at it. Some guys won't do it even if you ask them a thousand times, you know, but I think like the small detail and things is massive at home and massive even in the champ in the UK. But then when we went to France, like sometimes some things we wouldn't talk about stuff, you know, and then some meetings would be like, oh, why did you keep doing this? That's what we talked about doing. Oh, we didn't do enough of this. If we did this, this would have worked. We never even spoke about doing that before, you know? So it's it's a small bit more probably reactive and emotional as opposed to at home where, like, you know, you'd have a really in-depth analysis done on other teams. You know exactly what you want to do. Things aren't working. Okay, let's change to this. Where at home, it's like, or in France, it was like, oh, we need more. We need it harder. We need push harder. Hit him harder. Run more, you know, and work, work, work. So there's definitely, they lean on the emotional side, which sometimes like pays off massively. But then as you've seen down through the years, like sometimes the French teams haven't gone well and they look like they're sulking, you know? So I think that was a big thing that it took me a while to get used to. And it's like, how do you actually start to harness that within them and kind of try and bring your organizational side to it? Uh, which I definitely didn't get right all the time, but I definitely got better at it the longer that I was there. Um, and then, like I said, with Pete there and stuff like that on the field, that obviously made it easier as well. I felt like I needed a bit of a hand, like he could come in and I could, I could small out or slide out the second receiver a bit and stuff like that. And even just him talking sometimes to the team and not me all the time, or which you could feel like sometimes at 10, you're like, oh my God, I mean, I've talked so much. I need to stop. You know, having another voice there can help as well. Or even just having someone in the back line that taught the same way as you. So we would have played together in Ealing before and like we would have grown up culturally with the same idea. And a lot of the things, like we wouldn't agree on everything, but we'd agree on 99% of it, you know, where with some of the French lads, you might create 10% of it, you know? Um, but it's just different ways that they've learned, like, you know, from different coaches, like most of their coaches would have been French. We would have had a lot of coaches that might've been a Kiwi and Aussie, Safa, you know, Irish English. So it's just different, it's just different rugby brains, which is interesting, but I definitely know which one I prefer. <laughs> well, it's so, Irish. Yeah. Well, it's just, it's just, like I said, it's, it's what I'm used to, you know, change, change is hard. And especially when, the communication side comes into it as well. But I'm obviously more comfortable in that, you know, if you can, if you know what everyone around you is going to do, it can be easier. And I'm not saying that we can't have any flair and you can't try something if it's not on, if it's on like, you know, 
but I just think it's it's definitely easier to to play in. Yeah, it's funny here in New Zealand they it's the exact same well not the exact same, it's similar in that they the intensity just drops when they don't have the ball. Like I see it, you know, uh, there just isn't the same hunger. Whereas you know in Ireland if you're playing AIL, like you have to up your intensity when you don't have the ball. Like if or you you know, just you can't like just just like switch <laughs> off and concede a try or just like concede fifty meters and wait to get the ball back. And then another one is like they never kick it. Like like someone will kick deep and they'll just try and run it back every single time. <laughs> I was like I was nearly getting angry. I was like, this is I was nearly like this is arrogant. Like you're you're just yeah. gonna tackle with the first man every time and you keep running like and but they didn't I didn't get angry I didn't get a frustrated angry, but like they they didn't know anything else. You know, even though at the pro game, of course, like super rugby and international, they'll put the bombs up, they'll put kicks in, but at the lower levels below that, it's like no, they're just running. It that's it's so interesting to to hear that like because I feel like it, it really does like depend on what you grow up doing like you know like if you're not mm. coached from a young age to kick the ball when you're deep like and be like probably slightly more conservative like Northern Hemisphere rugby is you know like mm. they're thinking we'll score more points than them and we're thinking we'll concede less points than them you know and like uh, and that's not the whole mindset of it but it's definitely part of it like you know like oh we're not going to do this here because we make a mistake here they'll score you know oh if we can get to the halfway line yeah let's run it then then we're in their area they're under pressure like territorially already where i I suppose kind of it's in their blood and the same with the french light you know oh it's a one-on-one i'm going to take it on you know you're like you are behind your goal line you lunatic please take it out on the 22 Do you know, we will reset and go again. Um, they're like, oh, we don't want to defend. Um, but yeah, no, it's just, it's interesting to see kind of like how culturally rugby can be played so differently. Um, and then obviously as you go up the level, like obviously everyone plays relatively similar. Um, and it's just like how the smallest details can be so, so important. Like getting a bump on the outside shoulder as opposed to the inside shoulder that stops the defender. The inside ball works, scrum half and the inside try. So one thing is off there and it doesn't work. Um, so yeah, no, it it is interesting though how it's so different like that, um, and I could see how that would wind you up as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's good though. It's inter- it's interesting. Yeah, it is so interesting. I remember when I went to the states in twenty sixteen, and it was around like it was so multicultural. Like there was literally like Safas, Aussies, Kiwis, um, Americans, obviously English, you know, and Irish. And I remember you know once or twice I was player coach, and then. I remember saying something and one of the Safa lads was like, he thought I was like, had 10 heads. And then I was like, what, what do you mean? Or what, what's wrong with that? And then he said something. I was like, what? And we just couldn't, I can't remember exactly what it was, but there was just a complete disconnect. We, we saw things completely different and there was no right or wrong, but it was the first time I was like, oh, not everyone does it this way, you know? Yeah. I've noticed that Um, even when, even still, like when I get a new coach and like I'm 30 years old now, do you know, I've, played pro rugby for 10 seasons and sometimes a coach says something and I'm like ah I can't believe I've never thought of it like that you know and it might be something small it might be something around the breakdown it might be something about your kick chase it might just be a terminology that they use like to like a cue so that you remember it or so you do it a certain way and I'm like fuck that is genius how have I never thought about that you know like that's so like that cue is so descriptive in exactly how I want the person to do it I can't believe I've never thought of saying it like that, or I can't believe I've never thought about doing this like that, or it could be a simple line, you know, on a little spot play or someone short, someone at the back, and it's just might be a small little detail that they give in it, and I'm like, wow, <laughs> I've had a lot of good coaches, and no one's ever described it to me like that. So I think that's where like the human side of it comes in, you know, and like actually being able to be a really good communicator can be the difference between. I think if you, I think you. A worse coach can be a more successful coach if they're good at communicating. Um, sometimes, like some of the best coaches, is too much, you know, and people's heads go, "Oh, like I can't, I can't actually, I can't uh, absorb that much information and then go and do it." Like these things, you don't go from being an amateur rugby player at sixteen years old to being a pro at seventeen, or you know, it doesn't happen that quick in the space of a year. Like it's all these learnings that happen over time, and it's the same. Like when you go to France the first time, I was like, holy fuck, I can't understand anything. You know? And you're like, oh, I'm starting to understand that they're saying je suis. Oh, that means I am. You know? And you kind of go from there and you add the levels. But I think having the foundational level and then going from there is 
is interesting. And like I said, that's built off how it's communicated to you. If you can, like, I think this is something that I do inside my own coaching with my clients as well, is that like, if you can describe it to a five-year-old so that they'd understand it, that's probably a good way to do it, you know? If you're trying to explain it to someone that you think you need you need to sound smart and use all these big words, like most people's going to go over their head, you know, but make it as fucking simple as you can from A to B in as little words as you can, obviously using enough words. But, you know, if you can simplify it that way, like pe- more people are going to understand and it can be so direct that it can just be like, oh, you said it. OK, now I can do it as opposed to making it complicated, using different longer words, like trying to sound smart. You know, it's not always the best way to communicate it. 100% yeah 100% and it's funny yeah it's funny when you have coaches or you you hear people and you you kind of then suss they're just trying to sound smart <laughs> trying try to sound oh, intelligent you spot it so quick like if someone starts using big words and stuff you're just like that fucker doesn't have a clue what he's on about you know he's hiding behind words he's throwing out photosynthesis there in, his, in talking about attack like you're like what are you on about man um you know but you you, you definitely spot it like you know and like I said, like having that, being able to describe it in a really simple way, as if you're talking to a child, is the best way to do it. it and it just makes everything shorter. There's less waffle, there's less, which I'm doing a lot of, but there's, it's just shorter. It's more direct. People can digest it and you can implement it quicker. And that's the key to it, really. Yeah. Uh, what, uh, with, like, you've played in so many different teams and cultures and countries and, what um what would be like your favorite style of play like so i know like we grew up in ireland and you know a lot of kicking down the line mauling scrummaging uh tight carrying and i know it's changed but like when we were growing up that's what it would have been but i don't know throw some a bit of a open question but what kind of way do you like playing the game now i love an attacking brand of rugby first off i love running from deep and I love all that, but I like making those decisions based on the evidence in front of you. So like being quite practical about it and playing it in a logical way. So not just saying, okay, we're going to run every kickoff, but why are we run a kickoff if they fucking know one over there and they've everyone in front of us here. That's stupid. Like, you know, so that if they have two in the backfield, okay, maybe the kick is the best option. If they four, let's run it. They'll close. You can kick it down on the edge and kind of setting it up that way. Like I like, I like analyzing the picture and it's probably something that I'm good at in rugby and maybe not as, not as good at yet in the rest of my life, but I'm working on it, you know, but like you just see those pictures so regularly and you start learning things like, Oh, they four in the backfield. That means that there's space in the front line, whether it's between them or around them, it's going to be there. Maybe it's just down the short side. They've only two there instead of three off that rock, you know, Oh, let's go there. We get the scrum after run and you start setting up this way. Um, so I like, I like an attacking brand. I love an attacking brand where the team is like, working in unison so like ireland they're so fucking good to watch you know like they're so good to watch because everybody does exactly their own job and then you're like oh my god that tribe's unreal like the one where bundy went through and passed the ring rose and ring rose gets the pass away and you're just like that was sick man but if you watch it all like it's every line is there's that little bump like i talked about you know it's 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 sexton comes around the corner and he squares up nicely so then bundy can go through the gap you know, and he's getting an arm tackle as opposed to sexting going across and the four of them run into each other. Do you know, all those little things. And they've decided before the game, okay, Scotland aren't coming up as hard in the outside channels, so why don't we just fix the inside and go there? Do you know, And then you've got these big runners that are so good at their detail, but it's the whole team working in unison, and then it looks phenomenal. And you're like, that was an unbelievable try by so-and-so, but there's so much detail on the inside that you're like, that you appreciate as a 10, you know, when you turn that corner and you were only trying to fix one guy. That's what you want, as opposed to turning the corner and trying to fix two or three people all yourself. Do you know, they're the kind of things that I love. I love that stuff, like the nerdy stuff. I'm like, oh, that was such a good clear out. Look how deep he got to so that guy. Had to come so far around the rock. People are like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I love that. Like, that's class. <laughs> so that's kind of. I don't know if I answered your question there, did I? I think I might have. Hey, Brian here. I work one-on-one with rugby players, helping them perform better on the field, enjoy it more, and maximize their careers. If you feel like there's more in you and don't have regrets down the line, head over to offfieldrugby.com now and book a free 30-minute Zoom consultation. And the link is in the show notes. On the call, you talk to me about where you're at now, what you would like to achieve, and I'll show you how I can help you get there. 
You then go off and decide if you want to invest in yourself and move forward with the one-on-one coaching. For teams, I do mental skills sessions over Zoom. Players will have mindset shifts on the call, but also they'll get exercises to practice going forward. So it's like an S&C program, but for your mental strength. If you're a coach or manager of a team, you can book a free 30-minute Zoom consultation now as well on offfieldrugby.com. If you have any other questions, you can get in touch with me through my social media, at Brian Moylet, at Offfield Rugby, or the website, offfieldrugby.com. All right, cheers. We'll get back into today's episode. You did, yeah. And were you coached by Nigel Connacht? Yeah, I was, yeah. Um, yeah. I enjoyed being coached by Nigel because it was like that. But when Nigel was there, it was the Pat Lam era. So it was very, here you do this, here you do this. If you don't do this here, then this person will come on and do this here, you know? So I remember Nigel took us for a session. I was like, Jesus, you're all like so robotic. Like, you know, you do stuff this way. Um, and you only kind of think one way of doing it. Where he was like, nah, fucking just get the ball into the middle. You know, go fix this guy. Make it two and one. Find your two and one. These kind of things, which I love. Um, and you can see that he's, all the teams he coaches are, they're attacking orientated like that, you know, and they're not afraid to, to move the ball. And they're trying to play to where they see the opportunity, uh, which is class. I love that. I love that. I, and I didn't come in in the academy. I came in as uh, whatever the contract, uh, development. development player or whatever it was. Yeah, development contract. Yes, I can't even remember now. That shows my age. Um, so I came in as development contract. Uh, but Nigel's always someone that I could confide in. And then if I felt like things weren't going my way, I'd go talk to him. Well, what are you seeing? Like, what do you think here? And he was always someone that would give you the time of day, even though I wasn't necessarily one of his players, you know, if he was looking after the academy at the time. But he was always a a sound man with a good rugby head and I think we aligned similar in how we thought about the game so I always enjoyed speaking to him about it yeah and just when you're talking about um like I essentially what you're saying is how I like to play the game or coach it now with that just attacking mentality but situational awareness and something I find still find I have always since been coached by Nigel because I remember playing Connick 20s with them and you know we'd have I remember once specifically, we had a scrum about eight or 10 meters out from our line. I was playing eight and I was like, oh, I'll carry and then create, set up a rock over there and we'll kick it out. And he was like, no, the three in the backfield were running. And I remember looking around like Kieran and Jack and, and like, I was like, oh, 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 wow. Like it was so exciting, but I was like, we're allowed to, we're, we're eight meters from our line. And, and it was obvious. It's obvious. If they have a three up and you six at backs and an eight to pick and draw and pass, it's like the easiest, it's the easiest thing in the world to do. But, and from then on, I was always like, you read the defense and something I'm still, I still get frustrated with when I'm, say, with other coaches, if that they have a, a field map. When we are here, we kick out. When we are here, one rock kick. And I'm like, but you don't know what the defense are doing. And like you say, what if they four back? So my thing is, is you have to coach players to be able to read the pictures that are in front of them and not coach them to be able to adhere to an A4 piece of paper that has markings on them up to where you are in a field, you know? Yeah, I think that I think having the field map is important, but I think having the players have the freedom to if that needs to change a bit, that's fine. Not running moves that we haven't run, but if you think okay, scrum is here and we're we previewed that they're going to be three and maybe a quarterback, he's not going to be that deep. But there's a big wind, and all of a sudden you see his mile back. What do you do with a big wind? Traditionally, you kick. You know, oh that's a good idea. But now their wingers drop, their fifteens come the whole way over, and the scrum and the wingers come up here. So now they have three nines in the boot. You're like, mate, you have to run this. You have to run this, you know. So then you've, you're making it based on evidence, though. You're not saying, oh, we should just run this one because we haven't run one in a while, you know. Like, yeah. that's that's madness. But I think, it, like you said, if it's if you're making logical evidence-based decisions, or even if they fall up, but you've seen the wingers taking a knock and he's dead leg and can't run, probably a good opportunity to go there, you know. And I know that's mean, but that is, like, it's good tactical awareness, like you said, you know. So I think finding those opportunities and noticing these things, you know, and, and having the, being empowered by your coach to go and do this. As long as you have a reason that you did it and you're not just being too loosey goosey and just saying, Oh, we haven't run in a while. We should run, even though we're behind our all goal line, you know? Um, I think, but 
having the trust and the empowerment from the coach that if you say, oh, wh- what did you see there that you ran? Oh, the winger was injured or, oh, they had th- three in the backfield and they only had three in the front line, so we thought we should run it. And you say, fucking bravo, well done. All right, the skill element might not come off, but great opportunity, great option. And then you can start to build on that and say, oh, see, true skip pass, that's good. He stuttered a small bit. Okay, maybe we just need to show a shorter pass now, but now the wingers come up, so why don't we kick then? Do you know? And all of a sudden, you're adding layers that, okay, we can go wide, but now these players can kick, you know? It doesn't have to be your 9 and 10 that kick. You know, maybe your 15 can kick. Maybe your winger can chip and chase or put a grover along the ground. And then your team kind of goes from being, like you said, one-dimensional of, this is what you do here, this is what you do here, to what the fuck are they going to do? And why are they all kicking? <laughs> or why are, they all, why, are, why are they all doing so much various things? Why are my props passing? Props aren't well passed. What are you on about? Like, you know? the props there like you're going to back him to do it everyone does their skill work you know so i think being empowered but that comes from having the trust of the coach like the coach the coaching should be done during the week you know and then it's up to the players at the weekend um and of course you have your halftime talk and your pre-match talk and post-match and all that stuff but i think when players really feel empowered and they feel like they have the trust and they're not afraid to do things as long as it's logically based on evidence in front of them um that's the best way to coach and that's that's they've been the most in, enjoyable environments that I've been a part of, you know. And yeah, of course you enjoy winning, but if everything is very rigid and you're winning, winning is kind of painting over the cracks a small bit, you know. Then you start losing, and then things are you're like, well, I'm doing what you're telling me to do, like to the T, you know. Um, and then the frustration can start to build that way, where like the coach is probably the small more protected as well by saying, oh, that was on the players there, you know. But if it's if it's a hundred percent what he wants and things aren't working, it can it can be a small bit harder on the coach, I think. But like I said, man, that empowerment and that trust, and as long as you're making evidence based decisions, like having that from the coach is so fucking powerful for players, and for getting buy in from the coach, it's huge. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting you say that about the I'm doing everything you're saying and it being not enjoyable but still winning and. I think you see that quite a bit in soccer and football. Like traditionally, say the Mourinho teams, you know, it's so boring, but you get these one nils, and then the second you stop getting the wins, it's like everyone is just like, fuck this. And he's out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 100%. And the crowds turn on you quickly because not entertaining. Yeah. Um, everyone turns on you because, but sure, how hard is it to win one nil? It's way easier to win three nil. Do you know what I mean? If you're. If you if you can really break teams down like City can, or even Arsenal or whoever, um, if you can do that, it's much easier. You have your couple of one nil wins, but if you're winning only winning games by one nil, you're very fucking close to drawing and losing games every game. Mm. Yeah, and you have to. Oh, I was just chatting on a previous podcast with a sports psychologist who does jujitsu. We we're just talking about like. Um, being like defensively minded and protecting versus being offensively or attacking minded and you know like that um i suppose that goes back to kind of a bit like ireland um you know get three six nine uh growing up whereas france uh, seems like they look like and in new zealand too that there's let's score 40 or 50 points and it's interesting yeah there's a ba- i suppose there's a balance and you just have to have that game awareness of what kind of game it is because I saw like Fiji against Australia. It was really interesting. They just played literally an old school Irish game plan. They got the ball into that half. They got a penalty. They kicked three, six, nine. Yeah, it is interesting. Like and and like I found that all the Pacific Nation teams have been so untraditional of themselves in in this World Cup. Even Samoa are kicking a lot. Like Tonga are even kicking more than I had anticipated. You know, um, and it's interesting to see. Like you know, but they do that and they're more competitive. You know. But they still always have that bit of flair, those huge hits, those class lines, these silly offloads. You know, you're still seeing the bits of Charles Piatow and those lads that are just absolute, absolutely world class. But you're seeing it with a bit more structure, and you see like how that flair is a bit more controlled. And that's why I think that they were probably more competitive. And why Fiji have won some of these bigger games. You know, I know they lost last night, but but I think you look at them against Australia, and they were so fucking impressive. I know Australia weren't up to much, but uh, Fiji were so impressive. And you see they had that control. Like, you know, they kick it. There's one guy back. Traditionally, he runs that out. Now they're thinking, oh, we're kicking it. And you're like, oh, that's a good kick. You're kicked it to the halfway line from your own try line. 
that's an outrageous kick, you know? Like, that's good by anyone's standards for someone that maybe traditionally would have always run it. So I think kind of, I don't think there's a right and there's a wrong, but like you said, there's there's that kind of, that bit of a balance. And you can see that everyone's more balanced, but some teams are still further to one side than the other. Like Portugal, for example, who still kicked quite a, a lot yesterday. But my God, they're exciting when they run. And they're playing positively. I stuck it on my story last night. Like, so nice to watch a team that wants to play positively as opposed to, like, how some of the other Mino nations in the World Cup, not as much in this one, but in World Cups gone by, oh, let's hit it up and kick it. We'll compete in the air. You're like, fuck, man. All these teams are tier one. Like, they're all unreal in the air. Do you know? We're not even that good in the air. Yeah. Why, don't, like, why do we want to run around the... Why are we picking and going into South Africa? Why don't we at least try and make the move? They're yeah. fucking huge. You know? Like, I'm like... like that is like, like okay, if you're at the top of the game, maybe that's a good way to go. But we ain't. We ain't going to win this game. Do you know? Like, like your way aren't going to beat New Zealand. But fuck, they ran them around and they still gave it a good game or they scored some good tries against some of the other teams. Do you know, Chile scored some class tries as well. These teams that are traditionally not even rugby nations, you know, and they're playing offensively against the best teams in the world. And they're finding gaps. They're finding space because they're moving the ball. They're, they're playing positively as opposed to saying, let's shut up shop, let's kick, let's set up, find the 15, kick a box kick, and we'll chase. Do you know? How many times are you going to kick a box kick to Bowden Barrett before he breaks the line, goes 70 meters and scores against any team in the world? Do you know? Like, and it's just, it's it's the whole, like I said, being offensive mindset or being defensive, like, you know, and I think when when things are already stacked against you and bar a miracle, like, the game is probably not going to go your way anyway, just off pure like off everything like you know like New Zealand your way like New Zealand are going to win that game probably 101 times out of 100 you know but the way your way decides to go out and play can be very different and it can very be like do we, are we going to keep the ball or are we going to keep giving the ball back to them and try and pressure them that way do you know like they're math they are masters of like diffusing high kicks and all that they play against South Africa five times a year you know who are unbelievable at kicking and they beat them most of the time so they're good at that you know like just because you think that's a way of putting them under pressure, like you might get one in every uh, so often in every kickback, but unless your kick is on the money, like it's not even a contest, you know. So I think like being attacking mind, having an attacking mindset is fucking so much better. Better for everyone fucking to watch as well, isn't it? So like it's better for the game. Like you watch some of these teams playing, you think that is sick, man. I want to go up in back garden, run around here with the ball, want to play against the dog in the back garden, you know. Where you watch other teams, and you're like. Oh, I might put on the snooker. It'll be more entertaining than this, like you yeah. Know? So, so that's my thoughts on it, anyway. Yeah, no, it's, it's spot on. And a couple of things on that. Firstly, I think world rugby. There's directives for people to play. I don't think no that there's directives for people to play more expansively, bet more exciting rugby, and you know they change the laws and we, everyone wanting it to move that way. And so maybe that's why those smaller teams are playing in that way. And I, something I say, not to be too mean, but what I call copy and paste coaching. So you see, like, it happens at lower levels a lot. And I don't think it's not, I don't mean to sound mean, but it's like, say, someone who's coaching a club under 18 team. And they see the Springboks box kicking and win the World Cup. And then they start coaching their under-18s to box kick all everywhere. And it's like, you know, it's like, buddy, like you say, that's not, it's just, there's no point in doing that. You haven't really thought about that. You've just, you've just seen the Springboks do it on TV, but it's not applicable to your game. Your game is very different. And um, yeah, I think you, you have to think about, yeah, your game, the game that you're playing versus watching you can obviously take little bits and pieces but another one was a few years ago the one three three one every fucking team from under eights were playing a one three three one and it's like i remember in vancouver and they're saying like oh we're playing one three three one and i'm like they're like you you stand here and i'm like i'm like no <laughs> you know like i'll stand here a bit but i'm not just like catching and tipping or pulling it's like i'm do i'm playing what i see i'm doing more you know it's like just so restrictive but yeah frustrating um yeah but that happens at every level like south africa changed the whole game of rugby when they did that when they were making these big long caterpillars and kicking everything and they had so much line speed they won that world cup without touching the ball nearly you know 
obviously they got they had the ball, obviously, but they kicked so much and they just found a loophole in the matrix where they could just pressure everyone into and just score off that, you know. But there wasn't as much uh, ingenuity in it as anything, you know. It's smart though. Like at that level, it's different. At at the top level, at the World Cup, it is about winning. Those lads, of course, they enjoy it, but they're not going out there to have fun to go home and say, "It's such a fun day." I lost the World Cup semi-finals, you know? Like, where when you're playing it under 14, 16, 18, the most important thing should be that people are actually enjoying it so that they stay in the game for longer. And by copying and pasting that and getting a nine to kick that probably isn't even that good at kicking, it's having no kick chase and then giving out to everyone off the back of you setting them up to play a negative way is just fucking ludicrous, like, you know? Like, I think everyone at underage should be encouraged to play positively, to play offensively, like we said. And of course you can't always, especially in Ireland where it rains half the time sideways, but but giving them, it's going back to the style of coaching like we spoke about earlier and giving them the trust, giving them the power to play what they see and then trying to work on, okay, why do you think you did that though? Like, Why did you do that? Like, What did you see? Oh, you saw that? Oh, because wow, this is what I see. So if we look at, like, of course, there's not always video, but you'd be like, oh, I actually think it wasn't that. I think it was more like this. So next time, let's just make sure he's a small bit further there and then base your decision off that. Oh, the ball's slow. Okay, maybe now we're not actually on to go. But that looks real quick and they're all running backwards. Starting to get them to see patterns that way and then giving them the trust at the weekend and actually having chats with them as opposed to saying, for fuck's sake, what are you doing? Why are you running this? Why are you kicking this? Ask him what he saw, you know. No one's gone out to kick the ball away or throw a bad pass off for kind of to do it, you know. I don't think I've ever thrown a bad pass on purpose. Um, maybe it was a warming up trying to make someone else look silly, but never in a game, you know. So I think how you how you set the team up and how you go about the coaching and empowering people, which is really just a lesson on leadership anyway, you know. Make people feel valued and kind of they want to be there, they're gonna give you so much more as opposed to people are afraid, you know, they get tight and they get tense. And this is a very visual podcast. I'm running around the room here. If anyone's not watching, um, but <laughs> you know, like I think kind of like, that's a massive part of it for me. And it's, it comes back to how you, how you approach the game. Like you said, like that attacking negative or kind of defensive mindset towards it and then empowering people to, to play off what they actually think they should do. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. And Something I think is so important, just to reiterate what you said, if, and I know they're like underage coaches or coaches listening, but to have fun, it's like, man, I'm telling you, that is what's most important, I promise you. I found it very frustrating. I was listening, not to out anyone, but someone told me they were at a junior rugby, youth rugby committee meeting at the end of season, and the youth rugby chair stood up and said oh this local this team down the road won three titles this team down the road won two titles at underage level this team won two titles and we only won one we need to be better and this is talking about like under 12s 14s 16s 18s and and it's like we need to be better so we need to be winning three and i'm just like oh man it killed me when this person relayed that to me they didn't get it that person were like, oh, he's really good. He's looking to change the things there. He's looking to get the get things better and he's looking to improve things. And I'm like, oh, my word, where do I start? Like, <laughs> oh, because then you have these coaches coaching under 14 thinking that their goal is to win the cup. And it's like, man, that's why people don't come back. That's why you're, everyone's going playing Gaelic or hurling or soccer or if if you have that problem, whereas if you are just getting more and more players down you're doing it right not if you're winning cups 100 percent. and like you said man it comes back to fun right and like so for example haven't played so much pro rugby at an awful time in france my second time between injuries and everything just not enjoying it came back home played for scarab um who are junior three i think and i had the best time with the lads they had the absolute crack we could do whatever we wanted on the pitch within reason, like obviously not taking drop goals from our own half and stuff, but we were encouraged to play. We were encouraged to have fun. We were encouraged to enjoy it. Like there was joking, there was laughing, you know, more lads were coming down. The numbers started getting bigger and yeah, you'd have a few pints after or whatever, but like the whole thing was based off enjoyment. And if we won, 
fucking class let's sing our song if we lost lads we'll, we'll be back on Tuesday we'll work hard and we'll try and win next week and we'll we'll have a bit of fun in it and you know we'll have fun at training and if you do if you want to do this we can do a bit more of this or you know and then like you the kind of fun gets out you know and then more people start to come and we'd bigger number we, we'd real big numbers at one stage like we were touching 30 odd players in like a rural club in the back arse of nowhere Scarif like you know like in East Clare um, and it was unreal and then I went and played with the Toronto Arrows and we didn't win a game all year but I still had fun because people were working hard and then I went to Prince Edward Island and played with the, with the Mudmen there in Charlottetown and again the whole thing was based off enjoyment and fun and it's some of the most fun rugby I've played you know and I think that gets lost sometimes when like you said we need to win we need to win and then the, the winning comes up, they need to win, and the, the fun kind of drops a bit. And when it gets past a certain level, it's just not, it's just no fun anymore, you know? And like a lot of people, a lot of people don't love pressure anyway. So when there's no fun involved and it's just pressure and you have negativity coming at you because you dropped the ball and stuff, it's like, fuck, what am I doing here? Like, you know? I could be at home <laughs> watching the TV or I could be down at, like you said, down playing hurling, having fun there. I could be at, uh, I could be down playing Gaelic football or soccer or whatever way you want to do it, you know, and you can definitely enjoy it so much more. So, like, I think that's probably a part of it that the the game loses a small bit as we as we get older. And like you said, that mindset turns to, oh, we need to win. It's so important. Where I think when you can keep that, and surprisingly, I won both my games with Scarif and I won all four games with the team in PEI. So, you know, we won them all, but we had so much fun in it. And when people are having fun, because back to earlier, people are having fun they want to be there you get the most out of them the coach empowers them and they're like this is good man why would i why would i not want to do this you know and then you've guys playing like into their late 30s you know some guys are still playing in their 40s because they just love it because they're still enjoying it and you're definitely not enjoying it if it's a shit environment um so yeah like you said that uh that fella in the club has he's got it all wrong like especially at that age it's literally all about fun and there's bigger things in it, like, you know, like keeping people active as they get older so that more people are healthier. So, and then like you can go down the whole, like the mental health side of things, the whole lot of it, you know, but the the most important thing when you're young is to fucking enjoy it. It's not to win three cups at under 14 because no one's going to remember that anyway. Do you know what I mean? Like it's the least important thing ever, but it, people will remember if Jimmy stops coming, you know, or if Jimmy doesn't want to play rugby anymore or, but or Jimmy will remember, like you know, Jimmy will remember Brian being his favorite coach because he always had fun with him and he always smiled and gave him a fist bump when he came. Do you know things like that? They're the important things, especially at that age. So as you get to pro, obviously winning is important because now there's money and people's jobs on the line and that stuff. But at the club game, man, if you're not creating a fun environment, you're not going to have many players at training. You know, and you might get a team together, but you're not going to have one for too long. Though. Yeah, spot on. And how did your move to Miami come about? Uh, so I was with Toronto last year, um, and I really enjoyed it. Had a great, uh, really enjoyed it. Like it was fun to actually live in Canada. I've done stints there, but I've never actually been like, okay, I'm actually living here now. Um, so that was great in Toronto, and it's cool to experience the weather and everything. And then at the end of the year, um, they just didn't want me anymore. I'm still not really sure why, but just be open and honest. Uh, I'm not their player anymore so I don't really know why they didn't want to keep me but they didn't um, and then they put me into the expansion draft because Miami are a new franchise this year um, and Miami selected me as one of them and then we negotiated came to an agreement and now I'm going to have to invest in sunscreen shares for my bald head <laughs> I'm getting scalded maybe a hat maybe both um, but yeah so we're going down there in January so um, we'll be there January through to the end of July and then back down again the following season so signed a two-year deal so yeah look looking forward to it. it'll be good fun uh not like i said not a bad spot to to live in um and sure no matter how the rugby goes you can't be too upset if you're in the sun every day anyway can you so no that's right. unreal that's unreal yeah, yeah. how good like it's mental i was uh, like <laughs> it was just, like the whole thing kind of came about like maybe two weeks after messi had signed and then we're supposed to be training in the same training facilities as them now as well. It's like I'm going to be best friends no with Messi way. and Bex, like, you know? So, oh. hey, Bex, I watched your documentary. Did you listen to my podcast? No? <laughs> no, so, like, it'll be, it's going to be mental, like, so it'll be good fun anyway. Sure, like I said, you can't be kind of too bad a time when you're on holidays in the sun. I mean, working in the sun. 
Uh, do you know anyone else there? Um, I brushed shoulders with a few lads. I played against a good few of them last year. Uh, I don't know anyone out now personally, um, but that's the excitement of it. You get to make, meet a new crew, and uh, I always say like that every time we move, it's way harder for my missus because I go down and I'm in a room day one with forty people that have the same common goal, where like partners don't always click with each other. You know, especially if they're from culturally different backgrounds, you're just not always common ground. Where in rugby, the common ground is to put the ball down on over their try line more than they put it down over yours, you know. Um, and everything you do is geared towards that. So, um, so yeah, no, I like these moves. Don't they're not daunting to me at all. It's just excitement. And but I'm really enjoying my my rugby with your monsters at the moment as well. So it's nice to come back home and play there again. Um, obviously played there for a few years when I was younger and loved it. So uh, when Jer Slattery inside there, the head coach got in touch with me. I said absolutely, I'd love to come back. You get in then and all the other kiddos say, welcome home, Shane. And you're like, oh, this is class. <laughs> it's unreal. So I'm really enjoying all my rugby at the moment. Good stuff. Yeah, the AIL is unreal. And um, oh, I remember going down to the Killing Fields and a tough, tough place to go. I think we could never get a win. We could never. We were winning AILs. We couldn't get a win down there. Oh, man, it was different gravy back in the days as well. Like I remember... I remember when I first joined the club, I think it was 2011 maybe, and I went into a game, Young Monsters and Shannon, and I walked in about five minutes after it started, and within five minutes there was five red car- or about three red cards and about 5,000 people at the game roaring and shouting at it. And I was like, oh my God, this is unbelievable. I need to be a part of this. And the crowds aren't quite the same anymore, but there's always crowds and everyone is so passionate about it. And like people's livelihoods go into those clubs. You know, it's... It's phenomenal, like, you know, and you see there's people that train on Tuesdays, Thursdays, helping out the club. There's clubs always open. There's always people down there. Um, and your monsters is a great kind of almost feels like a family club. Do you know what I mean? Like, obviously, players come and go, but there's always kind of a buzz there. And, you know, I don't know how many times throughout the years I've been in there. And they give you once a cookie, always a cookie kid, do you know. So, uh, so yeah, it's class. I'm fucking loving it. And the IL is class. It's greatly. It's so, so competitive. So competitive. Karen Yor wiped the floor with everyone last year and they beat Hinch by three points at the weekend on a grand dry day, you know? So, like, and wow. that's in Karen Yor. So, that's like, you know, it, it's close like that. You know, we lost the Lansdowne on the turf. Um, there's other teams beating teams that last year couldn't really get many wins. And now this year they started off winning their first game. So, you know, there's, it's exciting, like, you know, and there's not too many games that are a blowout, like, you know, where it's like you lose by 50 points, like some of the French sides and they don't show up to away games or stuff, you know, it's like, there's always a bit of bite in them. There's always these rivalries, club players that have been playing against each other for 10, 12 years that hate each other, but they love to hate each other. So it's good, you know. There's a bit of bite to them, and, you know, it's good. And you get the sprinkle of the academy lads in, a couple of development players, and there's some real quality out there, you know. I seen a thing the other day. It was um, Jack Crowley and Ben Healy playing against each other in the IL something like 18 months ago, you know. And they're both at the World Cup now. Class. Unreal. You know, so, like, the quality of players there um, and it would be so good if there was a bit, there was a bit more backing and a bit more uh, put into it but like the quality is there every weekend so if people aren't going down to watch their local club I would highly recommend it it's much more fun than watching some of the the URC games you know obviously when your province is playing it's a bit different but some of those games are are pretty terrible like you know so uh, the atmosphere would be better down with these as well so yeah get down and watch it's good good fun yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I was back home for two months over Christmas last year before I moved here. And I went to a couple of Connacht games and a couple of Lansdowne games. And the Lansdowne games were like five tries to four, five tries each. Like they were just like unreal matches. Speaking with one of the Lansdowne guys there, as you were saying about the high scoring games and the week before they played Terran Yor in uh, the Senior Cup, I think it was Senior Cup semi final or something. And they went to extra time and Lansdowne beat Ternior 45-44. I was looking at it, I was like, what? That must have been the most, he was like, man, it was the best game. It was some crack. I was like, unreal. And that's the offensive mindset like you're talking about. So sorry for interrupting you there. Just It jumped straight yeah. into my head when you said it. No, that's class. And it's so true. Like, I don't know, we'll pay a five or a ten or in or something. But like, if you're what, if like there's a URC game and it's not your province, like, uh, not for me. Whereas a club game on a Saturday, gee, you go to any kind of AIL game, it's it's great rugby. 
there's always a buzz and you get a point or two in every clubhouse if you want you know and you meet people that are fucking passionate about it way more passionate than people about their provinces you know it's like going down to a ga game it's my fucking team you know that's my team no one else you know and you get that and you get that with loads of lads there'd be old lads there'd be young lads there'd be old ones young ones everything and it's just like it's a class feeling and it's some buzz to be around i even enjoy going up to lansdowne even though we lost at the weekend seeing their fans and that's something i never did when i was younger you know but i enjoyed it now i'm a bit more older wiser and experienced and you can see the passion that they have even though they're shouting at us you know and it was it's it's class it's unreal you don't really get that passion in a lot of um in a lot of rugby but the oil has really truly still captured it a lot yeah, how would you compare it, one A to Major League Rugby? Um, it's interesting. Some of the players could definitely mix it. Some of the players can't, and I think a big part of it is definitely the SNC. Um, like some of the best yeah. athletes that I've ever played against have been in Major League Rugby. So, and I've played forty two European Cups, URC or Pro Twelve or whatever it was at the time, and some of the best athletes I've ever played against. Or in the MLR, you know, you have these absolute freaks. Okay, they might have the best rugby brain or have the best skills, but they're monsters, you know. And mm-hmm. like, I think the physical development of some players in the IL can't deal with that. But there's some guys that can definitely mix it. And you see, there's plenty that go over and do it and do really well. Like Will Leonard came over from Shannon, for example, and he's crushed it, man. He's one of the highest rated centers in the MLR, you know. There's loads of guys. There's Finton Coleman's inside in the cookies with me as well, who was at DC last year. Um, so like there's there's plenty of guys you know and it's it's unreal to see and I think a lot like there could be even more going over like even John Poland there who won it with the Free Jacks who was let go by Munster playing with Con went over and he's probably one of the best scrum halves in the league you know consistently over the last kind of couple of years so I think there's lots of guys that could mix it um, like especially at the top end of it I think some of the rugby brains in the IL are probably ahead of some of like the more domestic guys in the MLR because but they'd have played so much more rugby than them. Do you know like some of these American guys and Canadian guys might have gone traditionally before some of these they might have played three and four games a year. Do you know? Like mm. that's mental. I played three games in a weekend for the cookies nearly every weekend when I was eighteen, do you know? And they're playing that in the season. Like so like some of those things are crazy. They don't have like the same kind of resources and availability of play like us like in the league i was playing in uh prince edward island there there was three teams in the league you know and then there was maybe seven or eight in the second division but they didn't want to be in it anymore because it cost too much to travel to all the games because your closest game is like three hours away you know like just these things that people don't take into account and like for us to play our jews in ireland it's like 20 or 30 euro for them to pay their jews is like 350 dollars for the year you know, so these things. So we're very lucky in Ireland that it's so available to us. You know, um, in other countries, it's not, and I think that's fundamentally why we have so many players and so many good players. Um, so yeah, no, it's interesting. But I did like to go back to your question about the IL and MLR. Definitely think that a lot of guys could mix it up in there. Yeah. Um, well, here, thanks a mil for chatting with Unreal. And uh, before we jump off, let people know where they can find you. Uh, so you find me on Instagram at Shane O'Leary Ten. Twitter is something like at Shane O'Leary Ten as well. Uh, Facebook is something like that as well. Um, and my own podcast is The Rugby Diaries. Um, if anyone wants to listen to me chat shite a bit more, um, that's where you'll find me. Thanks for having me on. Cheers for listening into the pod today. If you're new to the pod, welcome. Be sure to check out some earlier episodes and subscribe wherever you're listening so that you get the new episodes when they're released. In my mid-twenties, I began studying the mind and that led me to playing the best rugby in my life and enjoying it so much all the time, like regardless of results. Whereas when I was younger, there were highs and lows and it felt uncertain, like I was on a roller coaster. But then, when I began developing and harnessing my mind, it felt like I'd absolutely cracked the code. Now I work one-on-one with players, and yes, I help you overcome challenges, and we do mental skills work so that you can consistently perform at your peak. But I also help you expand your mind and grow as a person. 
You know the way you often feel like you have more in you. You have more to express. You have more to bring. And it kind of gets frustrating when, yes, you're getting some results, but you know you have more inside you. I help you bring that out. Every single player that I've worked with one-on-one for over 12 months has made a team that they didn't think they could make in that time and or signed a new increased contract that way more than covered the investment that they made in themselves for the one-on-one coaching. If you're a player or coach and would like to learn more, head over to offfieldrugby.com now and book your free 30-minute Zoom consultation with me. Through this podcast, I want to help millions of people live happier, more fulfilled and more successful lives because I absolutely know that it's possible. If you want to be an absolute legend now and help me out, there's three things you can do. First is to share the pod. You can send it on some friends, share it on social media and simply just tell people about it. Second, you can leave a rating and a review wherever you're listening now. On Apple Podcasts, when you click into the pod, you can scroll down and there's an option to leave a review and up to a five-star rating. And on Spotify, when you click into the pod, on the left-hand side, you'll see a little star. You can click on that and then leave up to a five-star rating again. And third thing, lastly, just make sure you're subscribed wherever you're listening. Those three things, sharing the pod, leaving a rating and a review and subscribing really, really help the podcast grow, helps us help more people. So thank you so, so much. Please connect with me over on social media. Instagram is at Brian Moylet, at Offfield Rugby. LinkedIn is Brian Moylet. And any thoughts, questions, feedback, please let me know. I would love to hear from you. Thanks, Emil, for listening today. I really, really appreciate it. Be good to yourself, get after it, and I will see you next week. Cheers.